The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Happy Tuesday and welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk. I want to thank all of you for listening on radio, podcast, stream. Also, uh, thank you for watching on Twitter's Periscope, uh, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and LinkedIn Live. We have a great guest joining us later in the hour, Johns Hopkins, Dr. Bob Bollinger. Uh, it is International Women's Day. I am glad to be a woman and as Beyonce say, says, who runs the world, girls do. Well, we may not run the world yet, but hopefully that's going to change in the future going forward. Speaking of going forward, let's go forward and check what's ripped. From the the uh, sorry, I went to the wrong thing, Mark. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Marky Mark Grimaldi is my executive producer. He puts things uh, nicely in, in place for me. Uh, first off, let's stop with start with some audio. There have been a lot of people left and right that have been asking for President uh, Biden uh, to uh, ban Russian uh, oil imports. Take a listen while President Biden speaks about the Russian oil import ban, uh, it, part of what he wants to do. Um, uh, to hit back at uh, Vladimir Putin and Russia and their actions on Ukraine. Take a listen. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. This is a move that has strong bipartisan support in the Congress and I believe in the country. Americans have rallied to support their Ukrainian people and made it clear we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. We made this decision in close consultation with our allies and our partners around the world, particularly in Europe, because a united response to Putin's aggression has been my overriding focus to keep all NATO and all of the EU and our allies totally united. And just listen, a couple of things. One, for those of you complaining about gas prices and said, why don't we ban oil from Russia? Well, hang on, because the prices will go up. Things will get worse. That's one of the reasons if you say, why wasn't this done before now? That's one of the reasons it wasn't done before now. Let me tell you another reason. It will not just affect prices here in the United States, but globally. And we, the United States, can't just make decisions that are going to impact our allies when we're asking them, give us your fighter jets, when we're asking them, write checks for this amount, when we are leading, we are leading this coalition of the international community against uh, Putin, so much so that the UK is now following in our footsteps with what we are doing and banning uh, uh, imports of Russian oil. The UK is following, and you will see other countries do that as well. well uh, Russia is hitting back, though. Vladimir Putin is hitting back. He's going to cut off not us, but Europe's gas supply. They had a feeling that would happen. So you can't say 
you know, to my allies, you're going to get screwed twice with higher gas prices and you're going to have a, a gas uh, supply problem, a natural gas supply problem because you get it from Russia. Uh, a lot of places in Europe do. Germany is one example. They get most of their natural gas from Russia. So uh, we don't have that problem here in the United States. But you can't just say we're going to make a decision that's going to impact all of our international allies, the world and the inhabitants of uh, those countries. So this had to be discussed and, and the decision was made. And, you know, the United States, so the United States has been wanting to do this, but you don't throw your partners uh, against a madman like Vladimir Putin under the bus. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to applaud the president uh, for waiting until he had the world uh, that's in our side of the world uh, you know, the international community of the Western world on board uh, to make this decision because of the impact. And speaking of the impact, if I see one tweet, one tweet, and I will look into your tweet history, if I say one tweet complaining about gas prices after you bitched and moaned and whined and complained about the president not doing what he did today, I'm not only going to block you, I'm going to urge everybody to block you. You're done. Don't be a hypocrite. You want this? We want to help Ukraine? we got to be willing to pay. And by the way, we have choices. We have choices. We can choose to consume less. You know, 98%, okay, 90, excuse me, 98 million barrels, okay, is what we produce in the United States. We're the one of the largest producers, if not the largest producer in the world, okay? And who's consuming, uh, who's consuming most of it? We are, okay? Why do we have that deficit? You have 98 million barrels. We're consuming over 100 million barrels. If we reduced our consumption, okay, and that is possible, it is possible, drive less, get an electric vehicle, get a hybrid vehicle that doesn't take as much gas. Don't have these gas guzzlers. You want to hear hypocrisy? Convoys of trucks, huge trucks that gazzle tons of gas are complaining about how much gas it costed, how much they have to put in their truck. Stop driving huge trucks. Now you don't mean to say, well, Leslie, they have to go from point A to point B. But it's not just that. Look at people online with their big ass truck. I got this big ass truck I'm sitting in. I'm so cool. Why don't they open the pipeline? Which wouldn't help us for years, by the way, with gas prices. And, and you know, please. So Drive something that doesn't guzzle as much gas. Do a hybrid vehicle. Do an electric vehicle. Walk. Take the bus. Uh, take the subway. Make some adjustments. There are people in Ukraine making adjustments. There are people in Ukraine burying their children today. Put it in perspective when you're whining about gas prices. Okay? Now, I know it's easy for me to say I'm working. My husband's working. And even though it hits us just like you hard at the pump, it may not be as hard on me as obviously somebody who's not working, who has a single income household. I get that. But this is temporary. And we are not starving. We are not being bombed. We are not burying our children because another nation is greedy with power and landmass. And that's what this comes down to. Make a decision. If we truly are all in this together, it's not just COVID. We're in this world together. This, if you truly believe in freedom, if you truly believe in freedom and you want freedom and democracy throughout the world, then you got to be willing to pay more at the gas pump. This is truly an example of putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, by the way, uh, Quinnipi Quinnipiac's uh, latest poll, Americans say 71% to 22% 
that they would support a ban on Russian oil, even if it meant higher gasoline prices in the United States. So I don't want to hear one gripe about this. So the president just announced that the U.S. will ban all imports of Russian oil, natural gas and coal, not just one, in response to the invasion of Ukraine uh, by uh, Vladimir Putin and his army in Russia. And he said, you heard him. We will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. The American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's machine, but it will be a blow to us as well, gas price wise. And we have to uh, realize that. And this Quinnipiac poll shows, uh, you know, nearly three quarters um, over two thirds of Americans feel that way. The president acknowledged uh, the decision will not be without cost here at home, as I mentioned, literal cost at the gas pump. He said, quote, I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's gas price hikes. And let me just say this again. There are thousands of drilling permits that the oil companies have not utilized. And the oil companies have record profits. So please do not talk to me about Keystone Pipeline, which would not make a difference for years. Please do not blame uh, uh, President Biden. And please do not tell me you're a patriot if you think Putin is a better leader, as polls show some Republicans do, uh, than President Biden. You can't have it both ways. Either you put that damn red, white, and blue flag on your front lawn and have it tattooed on your body, and you are an American, damn it, and you are a patriot, and we come together as a nation and give the middle finger to Russia and help this country of Ukraine. I'm going to tell you something many of you don't know. There were four brothers. Three of them were killed by Nazis. One of them survived. His grandson is Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Isn't that beautiful? He survived. That man survived for a reason. Maybe this is that reason. Okay? So please, we have got to make a decision. You know, do you do you want freedom? Or do you only want freedom for truckers in Canada? Do you want freedom? Or do you only want freedom when it's a Republican leading uh the, the carrying the flag? Seriously. Russia, Ukraine is not the time to be uh, Democrats or Republicans. It's not the time to be uh, liberals or conservative. It is the time to be Americans who are united patriotically for the cause of freedom and fighting for the freedom of Ukraine as leaders of freedom and democracy, a beacon of light throughout the world. Can't say that and sing our pretty songs and then be hypocrites and bitch of the gas tank. We'll be back. I'm Leslie Marshall Moore with Rip from the headlines to come right after this. And then later, Dr. Bob Bollinger on this International Women's Day. But we're going to be talking about COVID. Is that still going on? Or at least some of us think it hasn't or it's gone away. Maybe not. We'll talk about it right after this on Leslie Marshall. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall. And we'll be sure to share your tweets. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. We were just talking about President Biden announcing today that the U.S. will ban all imports of not only Russian oil, natural gas and coal in response to the invasion of Ukraine by Vladimir Putin, uh, the uh, dictator and uh, tyrant of Russia. Um, the, The president also said, quote, this crisis is a stark reminder that to protect our economy over the long term, we need to become energy independent. Like I said, hybrid vehicles um, or electric uh, vehicles, which, by the way, is going to be the future. I mean, uh, um, American gas 
uh, man, American, excuse me, automobile manufacturers are actually, you know, turning the tide toward that. There will be a day where you won't be able to get that almost like harder to find a manual vehicle. You know, they're almost all automatic transmission instead of manual. Um, and, and, you know, there, there was a time where you didn't have the type of gas we had, right? You had an older car, you put, you didn't put unleaded, right? Gasoline in the car. It was a different kind of gasoline. Uh, anyway, uh, the president has come under growing pressure from Congress. That's both Democrats and Republicans and also from Ukraine and the president, uh, president Zelensky of Ukraine to sanction the most important industry in Russia. Now, like I said, he had hesitated due to rising energy prices, but it wasn't just prices here at home globally. There was opposition by our allies in Europe. The UK imports uh, most of its uh, oil, uh, uh, most of its energy, excuse me, from Norway. Uh, and they announced it would phase uh, out uh, Russian oil and you know have a ban that is phased in following our lead. Not natural gas, by the way. And they're going to do it by the end of this year. We're doing it immediately. Uh, but they did not include natural gas. We did. We don't have the dependency on Russia for that. Uh, this transition will give the market businesses and supply chains more than enough time to replace Russian imports. That's what UK Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng had said. Uh, the European Commission released a plan to reduce EU demand for Russian gas by two thirds before the end of this year, completely phase out dependence on Russian fossil fuels uh, before 2030. And top European leaders uh, said they recognize the need to reduce the continent's dependence on Russian oil and gas. But some of those countries have ruled out any kind of an embargo or a ban for now. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told the Democratic caucus today that the House will move forward with legislation to ban those oil imports, uh, even though you have an executive uh, action from the president. The legislation, well, it could include other provisions, which is why they're putting it forward, such as terminating normal trade relations with Russia. The Biden administration is exploring ways to unlock more global supplies to ease the shock to gas prices here at home. What, is, what are we doing? Uh, negotiating with the leadership of Saudi Arabia uh, to um, pledge, um, you know, pledged actually the president had said he was going to make Saudi Arabia a pariah, right? And, and they heavily sanctioned Venezuela. The U.S. is also expected to reach a new nuclear deal with Iran in the coming days, and that would give Tehran the ability to ramp up its oil exports. I know everybody says, um, you know, drill here, drill here. They can drill here. The permits are there. Over 9,000 permits are there. The oil company's not utilizing those permits. And Keystone Pipeline, again, it would take years to affect what we're paying at the pumps right now if that uh, were to, uh, if that project were to uh, reopen and if that uh, pipeline were to be completed. Let's rip another. Switching to uh, Ukraine, more than 2 million refugees have fled Ukraine since Russia launched its unprovoked invasion. This is according to the UN Refugee Agency data. Uh, the, UA the UNHCR labeled the exodus the fastest growing refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. Yes, more than Syria. Uh, the number of people fleeing topped 1.5 million in 10 days. Uh, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, uh, Filippo Grandi, said peace is the only way to halt this strategy. Most Ukrainian refugees, they crossed into Poland. Others have gone to Hungary, Moldova, uh, Slovakia, other European countries. Uh, many have also fled to Russia. <coughs> people are under stress. When people are scared, they become egoists. They forget about everything, uh, people said. Uh, people pushing to get on a train to flee. Very scary, very dangerous, not just physically, uh, but mentally. The United Nations aid agencies have warned that fuel, cash, and medical supplies were dwindling in the Ukraine. Uh, that could lead up to 5 million people to flee the country. And uh, they're saying that at this rate, the situation looks set to become Europe's largest refugee crisis this century. 
Uh, they are mobilizing resources to respond as quickly and effectively as possible. Uh, the picture is grim, but it could get worse. The elderly, people with disabilities, are finding themselves trapped within Ukraine, unlike, uh, unable to flee even if they want to. And children, they're, they're missing school. They're facing a great risk of physical harm, displacement, unimaginable uh, severe emotional distress, distress and stress. Can you imagine how much our children have been through with COVID? Imagine how much more with what these children are suffering. And women, so often disproportionately affected by conflict, well, they'll be at even a greater risk of gender-based violence. Let's rip another. The ceasefire talks between Russia and Ukraine are at a critical juncture. That's what Israeli officials said today. Israel has good relations with both Ukraine and Russia. They are in a unique situation mediating between the countries. Sorry, you think they would support the Jewish guy in Ukraine. Anyway, my, my bad. Israeli officials with direct information about the talks coordinated by Israel said they feel there is a softening of positions on both sides and that softening has occurred in the past 24 hours. Russians saying they only want to demilitarize the Donbass region. Zelensky telling ABC News he has cooled down about joining NATO. It sounds like he's kind of tell Russia what they want to hear, because if he becomes a member of the EU, I think we all know uh, becoming a NATO nation will follow at some point. Israeli officials said they hope these signs uh, are more uh, progress toward a diplomatic solution might be possible. I'm glad Israel's friends with both, but I don't understand how you can be friends with both. You know what I mean? Uh, and have a good relationship with both. But in this situation, I guess it's a good thing. Israeli Prime Minister Bennett visited Moscow over the weekend on Saturday. He met with Putin. Since then, he's been engaged in a flurry of phone calls uh, with Putin and Zelensky and French President Emmanuel Macron and the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Uh, today, Bennett spoke again to Zelensky about the ceasefire efforts. He called Putin to pass on a message from the president of Ukraine. And the Kremlin said Putin briefed Bennett on the results of the third round of talks between Russia and Ukraine in Belarus. But, but here's the thing. We're constantly hearing from Russia. This won't stop till they get all their demands met. And those demands are not realistic and not going to be possible, just not going to happen. Uh, two Israeli officials said Bennett isn't presenting Putin and Zelensky with any plan or framework, only passing messages between the leaders. And in the meeting with Putin, Bennett relayed ideas that came from Ukraine and other countries, that includes France and Germany, in order to get Putin's reaction and assess whether he is flexible or not on his current conditions for a ceasefire. Bennett and his aides briefed Ukraine, the Biden administration, France and Germany about the meeting with Putin in detail and also about the phone call that followed. Now, Israeli officials are crediting their talks with Putin for crystallizing the situation uh, for Zelensky, of course, and also contributing to Western knowledge about the Russian president's positions. Now, Israel relayed to we, the United States, France and Germany, the details of the proposal by Putin to Zelensky. Uh, it wasn't fully known in Washington, Paris and Berlin before that, at least Israeli officials are saying that. And according to Israeli officials, again, the proposal that Putin has put forth is difficult uh, for President Zelensky uh, of Ukraine to accept, but not as extreme as they anticipated. So in other words, he's coming down, which means the Ukrainians are making a dent here. They said the proposal does not include regime change in Kyiv and allows Ukraine to keep its sovereignty. Those are two big wins, maybe not a win enough for President Zelensky. And a senior official said Zelensky, he's at a crossroads. He has to choose two options here, right? One, accept the Russian proposal. It's very tough preserve the sovereignty and stop the war or reject the proposal, risk a serious escalation in the Russian attack that could end in a catastrophe for Zelensky and for Ukraine and his people. So what's next? Israeli officials said Israel and other Western countries are not going to press Ukraine to choose a particular path that will be up to them. They did express concern that if talks fail, the war will enter not only a new phase, but a more violent phase and will go on for a lot longer than anyone 
participate. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines coming up. Bob Bollinger from Johns Hopkins and more right after this. Happy International Women's Day. I'm Leslie Marshall. Speaking of back, he is back. We have Dr. Bob Bollinger in the house. He is the Rajan Kamla Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, and he holds joint appointments in international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in Community Public Health at the JH School of Nursing. He's also founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, the CCGHE, and the center is doing a lot of COVID-19 related work in the United States and beyond. Their website is main.ccghe.net. That's main, M-A-I-N, .ccghe.net. On Facebook, you can follow them there. Get more information as well. Facebook.com forward slash ccghe. Dr. Bollinger, welcome. Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Leslie. Nice to be here again. Uh, nice to have you uh, with us. Um, so a lot of people getting vaccinated, children being vaccinated, and um, they're showing in some studies that the COVID vaccine for children is less effective against Omicron, but the booster seems to help. Uh, is that true? And, and why is that? I say that because a number of people, my, my daughter and others um, you know, in my family were fully vaccinated, but they did get Omicron. Did Omicron just, uh, you know, was Omicron stronger than our vaccine or was that vaccine more geared toward Delta and the first round of COVID uh, before that mutation and variant that we call Omicron? Well, it's a great question, Leslie, and I'm sure it's confusing for people sometimes. Um, but one thing you have to remember, and this is true not just for adults, uh, not just for children, but for adults as well, is that the primary goal of this vaccine is to prevent people from getting really sick, going to the hospital and dying from this. And in that regard, the vaccines continue to work really, really well, even for Omicron and even in children. So if you, um, but that's different than protecting you from infection. Right. So you're getting the infection yourself, um, the, the Omicron has, uh, you know, is developed mutations that allow it to escape the immune system enough that um, some people are getting what they call breakthrough infection, including children but they're not getting uh, really, really, really sick and ending up in the hospital. That's the most important thing people have to remember. So we certainly ultimately want a vaccine that protects from both infection and serious disease. But what we really are most concerned about is to keep people, and especially children, from ending up in the hospital. There's no question that uh, vaccination, if you look over the last month or so, two months about Omicron, um, the hospital, the kids that were in the hospital and the adults that were in the hospital who were really, really, really sick, the majority uh, were unvaccinated. And if you were vaccinated, you had, in general, a mild case of, uh, of Omicron. And that's true for kids as well. Do you think that without the vaccines, because uh, you're saying the hospitalization, um, that we would have seen far higher hospitalization, ICU rates, and perhaps even death rates? Maybe it wasn't, maybe Omicron wasn't as gentle compared to Delta, it was just that the population was more vaccinated. Well, I think both are true, believe it or not. I think um, there's no question. In fact, recent estimates that I've seen, if you look from other parts of the world where they've um, vaccinated earlier um, and looked at the impact of vaccines, 
in the United States, um, we probably missed an opportunity since we only had about 60 to 65 percent of the whole population fully vaccinated. There are probably 200,000 of the 960,000 deaths that could have been prevented if the remainder of those people had been vaccinated. But the, the, the among those who were vaccinated, we probably saved another 250,000 lives just from being vaccinated. Um, but um, Omicron certainly is also less, uh, seems to be less uh, dangerous. It caused less severe disease. But I'll tell you, in some people, I, and I took care of patients back in January, I had a lot of unvaccinated patients who were very, very sick, um, just like the uh, the earlier versions of, of, um, of uh, you know, COVID. Why is it, because it does seem to be that uh, the booster shot helped, whether it was children, especially in children, but, you know, in, in adults as well. Is it just additional exposure because the vaccination period, what is it, six months after you're not as uh, protected, uh, you know, perhaps, um, or is the booster itself a different composition than the vaccines that we were getting, whether from Pfizer, Moderna, or uh, Johnson & Johnson? Vaccines are all the same. Uh, the exception with the young kids is they're using a lower dose, right? Um, so there's some thought that maybe um, the, the dose that was used in younger kids uh, needs to be, you know, upped a bit, but they have to do some studies to prove that that's safe and effective. And the boosters have certainly helped, uh, but it's the same vaccine, just different, different dosing for different age children. I've read and I've heard, you know, some rumblings about you know, uh, you know, additional boosters, you know, another booster, another booster, you know, where's the point that we're not, because a lot of people get frustrated with this, obviously, especially in our country, we love to complain, right? Um, but where, where is, you know, is there a, an end game, um, you know, regarding a certain point where our bodies can take over with the, uh, with the skills, if you will, that have been given via these vaccines and boosters uh, to fight what comes at us? Well, it's already doing that, right? I mean, as we just said, it's uh, being vaccinated it reduces your risk of ending up in the hospital by more than 90%. Uh, so even with without the boosters, we're, we have a lot of protection from serious disease. Um, the issue is, is the breakthrough infections. And of course, you know, even if you're vaccinated, you don't, you don't want to get infected because even though you might have a mild case, you don't want to transmit it to somebody in the family who may, for example, have cancer or might be whatever reason not be able to respond to a vaccine or a transplant patient or somebody in your community. So you don't want to get infected, but if you're vaccinated, uh, even with the, the double, the, the two shots, um, you're very highly protected against serious disease. But like, like with any infection or any vaccine, over time, some of us will lose our, you know, our immunity will wane a bit, and that's normal. We get vaccine boosters, you know, we get boosters for lots of vaccines um, in our lives. And I think we'll, we'll learn the optimal way to deliver these vaccines as we move forward, how frequently you need, need to get them, and maybe even get even better vaccines in the future that give you longer lasting immunity. But we'll figure this out. I know you don't have a crystal ball. Um, do, do you, so is COVID truly going to be part of our lives? You know, we get an annual flu shot, most of us, would it be, and we get we get an annual flu shot if you're over a certain age, a pneumococcal shot, right, pneumonia, a shot for pneumonia or to prevent pneumonia, protect you from pneumonia, and uh, a COVID shot as well? Yeah, I think that, that certainly could be the case. We're not going to get rid of COVID. I mean, the SARS-CoV-2 is with us, you know, from now on. Um, it's not going to go away. It's too widespread in the world. It's in animals. It's going to go back and forth between us and eat between each other as well as with animals. We're not going to uh, eradicate this infection from the earth and certainly not from humans. 
but we'll be able to control it. And we're already controlling. Listen, we've, you know, you know, if, if you look globally, millions of lives have been saved from vaccination already. And the more people we can get vaccinated, the more lives we'll continue to save. Um, and and uh, it might require boosters, and, and that's okay. I mean, uh, it's not, I'm sure a lot of people aren't uh, thrilled with the idea of getting a booster shot, but for those of us that are used to getting boosters for flu or tetanus or other things, especially kids, kids get boosted all the time for vaccines when they're young. That's just how some of these vaccines work. So I think that'll be a new normal we'll, we'll sort out. And, and hopefully, I think in the future, we're going to actually, we've learned so much and we've invested so much into these vaccines, these new technologies. We're going to learn a lot about how to make them even better than they are now. And I think we're going to get to a point where we'll have what might be what, what you might refer to as a universal coronavirus vaccine, a vaccine that works against all the variants. So a single type of vaccine yeah. that can protect against this, these, the current variants and future variants. I think we'll We'll learn a lot um, over the next year or so about how to do that. Speaking speaking of variants, um, as an infectious disease specialist, when a virus mutates, um, is it typical that the variants get stronger or weaker, or is there no rule of thumb with that? It's random. These viruses don't have brains like we do. They don't do this intentionally. They ran they mutate randomly, and occasionally uh, those mutants, if you will, those variants will develop changes in their structure that allow them to replicate better. So what really uh, wins in this battle is when a variant changes in a way it allows it to be more infectious, not necessarily more dangerous, but more infectious. And that's why we're seeing, you know, Delta took over from the earlier variants because it was more infectious. Omicron took over for Delta. Now we're seeing the, the, you know, the BA2 variant of Omicron is taken over from the earlier Omicron variant. It's all because it's more transmissible. And those are the changes that matter the most. It's, uh, not, it's not necessarily the case that it's going to get weaker or stronger as far as making us sick. But it's certainly, um, if, you're, if you're more infectious, you win in this battle. Uh, quickly before we go to break, herd immunity. Is it possible with COVID? Well, we already have it. Uh, and in many cases, um, depends on how you define it. We have herd immunity that's developed that's protecting a lot of people that have been vaccinated from ending up in the hospital. Um, it's reducing the, the amount of transmission right now. That's why the peaks go up and come down, because in certain communities, between the combination of vaccination and infection, uh, you don't have as many susceptible people, so the rates go down. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back. More questions for our great guest, Dr. Bob Bollinger, Rajan Kamla Gupta, Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Their website over at the Center for Clinical Global Health, where he's founding director, is main.ccghe.net. And on Facebook, follow them there, facebook.com forward slash ccghe. We'll be back right after this. Thank you. And we are back. Happy Tuesday. He's back as well. He is Rajan Kamala Gupta, Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He also has joint appointments in international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in community public health at the JH School of Nursing. Founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, the CCGHE. We're at their website. You can find more information is main.ccghe.net. And on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash CCGHE. 
Dr. Bob Bollinger, who's uh, become not only a one of my close circle medical experts, of a, a friend to uh, me in the program, and good to have him back with us. Uh, Dr. Bo- uh, Bollinger, we, you know, a lot of people out there, uh, you know, whether it's for political reasons or they see one study and you know you get 10 doctors in a room and you can have 10 opinions sometimes, right, or 10 studies, um, a lot, you know, not children not wearing masks, you know, sometimes in, in indoors, I go to stores, some stores, some stores say it's up to you. Some say you have to wear a mask. Some say you don't. So first, um, I, I'd love your whole take on this because my fear, you know, hey, it's spring and getting into summer. Things are good. Everybody's happy, feels free, isn't afraid of COVID. The polls are showing as much. But fall and winter on the horizon. And like you said, this is going to be with us and it'll continue to mutate. Um, are we dropping our guard too fa- too much too fast? Um, I, I don't think so. In places where the rates are going down um, and where people are highly vaccinated, I think it's a lot safer to, to I mean, in fact, we need to start getting back to normal uh, if we can. It's, it's, um, it's different if you're in a community where the rates are remaining high, where the hospitalizations are still high, where deaths are high. Um, where vaccination rates are low. But if you're in a community where rates are going down and a lot of people are vaccinated and the hospital uh, burden is going down, I think we can begin to relax. Um, And we, you know, we may run into situations over the subsequent years where we have surges in the different times of year. But but the key is going to be whether it affects, I think, the key about whether we need to go back to masking and distancing is going to depend on the vaccination rate and and frankly, the hospitalization and death rate. So when the hospitals get overwhelmed and you have to start delaying treatments for other things, when the, the house, when the healthcare workers are getting burned out, when the EMTs are, are getting burned out, when a community's in that kind of a crisis, you have to do something. That's when we're gonna have to reconsider that. But if we can prevent those situations, um, I think we can begin to relax a lot and get much closer back to normal. And we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens in the fall. But in the meantime, we have time to get people vaccinated uh, who aren't. And um, so that if if we do get a surge of infections, we don't have the hospitals overwhelmed again. We're probably going to have we're probably going to have additional rounds of vaccination, would you say? Or is that what the boosters really are? <clears throat> well, I think we'll have to see there. We're going to be following people who are boosted uh, like myself, others who are boosted and see if, if we get you know, reinfected, and and if so, when, and and what it looks like, what kind of variant it is. We'll make decisions over the next few months about the fall. You know, we have a lot more data and information than we had two years ago about this infection, so we're making much better, more strategic decisions about it. There's a very, 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 very tiny segment of people that had some kind of a reaction uh, to uh, the vaccine or the booster. Uh, Some of those people have been told not to get the booster um, would the future be different for them? You know, if their doctors are saying to them, I'd hold off on the booster, I'd hold off on a, another round of vaccine because of that research and, and more information as we get to know this virus more going forward? Great question. Um, and it's important for lots of people, obviously, who, who are concerned about that. Um, I think, the, the, you know, all there, there, there are side effects to every vaccine that we've ever developed, of course. And the issue is it's a calculus. You have to balance the risk of vaccination to the risk or the risk of booster versus the risk of not being boosted. Right. And if the if the risk benefit ratio uh, suggests that um, the risk of vaccination is higher, you don't get boosted. But if the, if the risk uh, is much, much higher for not getting boosted, 
and by risk, I mean serious risk. So, right. You know, you can you have to compare the side effects of the vaccine to the side effects of being in the hospital and being really sick, for example, or um, or having another complication. A good example would be um, this issue of myocarditis that people talk about, the inflammation of the heart. Well, it turns out, yes, there is a risk of myocarditis, a very low risk in some people that get the vaccine. But guess what? The risk of getting myocarditis is much, much higher from if you're unvaccinated. Right, right. So you really have to look at that. I think we also are going to have different vaccines. It also depends on what vaccine you receive, because the side effects seem to be different depending on not just who got vaccinated, but what vaccine they received. And we're, we had more vaccine choices coming up. So it may be that there are boosters that are going to be available in the future that might be you know, easier for people that have had reactions to other vaccines in the past uh, that they could consider. So there'll be options. <clears throat> but um, I think it's going to be an individualized situation, and, and we're yeah. going to have enough choices over the next six to 12 months that people are going to have options. You know, there are people out there that have had COVID and and some of them feel they're invincible or they're immune, uh, even though I haven't seen any uh, evidence that it gives you immunity. Um, but does it make you stronger because your immune system is fought it off? A guy that I work with uh, at Fox, a cameraman, um, he got all three. He got the first one, he got Delta, and he got Omicron. For him, Omicron was like four, 24 hours of walk in the park. Um, and uh, I mentioned you were on the show today and he said, I'm just curious, you know, ask him. So, you know, if you get COVID, it doesn't mean you won't or can't get COVID again in the future. But does it mean that perhaps you won't get it as badly or does it depend on the the uh, strength or the infection rate of the variant? Well, clearly you can get it again. He got it three times. I yeah. mean, you know, <laughs> so the the. You, the first infection didn't prevent, protect him from either the second or the third infection. That, that's pretty obvious, right? He knows yeah. that himself. Um, but as far as the question of whether it pre pre prevented him from getting seriously sick or not, uh, it depends on the variant, right? So he, you know, the Omicron was generally easier for everybody. And it is true that, that people that get any virus infection have some protective immunity for a while uh, against uh, either infection or serious disease. Um, but it's pretty also clear that the, the duration and the uh, benefit of that immunity is less for people that have had the infection compared to those who have had the vaccine. So one, one way to think about this is that, you know, when you get a vaccine, you're getting a part of the virus to stimulate your immune system. When you get the infection, you're getting the whole virus and that virus is replicating and raging through your body, through your lungs and your immune system in a way that doesn't happen with vaccination. And in fact, it can cause disruption of your immune system. That's, for example, why children end up with this condition called MIS, right. multi-system inflammatory syndrome. It's a disruption of the immune system. That's one of the theories behind long COVID, that it's a disruption of the immune system from the infection replicating in your body. That doesn't happen with vaccination. So there's a lot of reasons not to get infected. Uh, I wouldn't get infected to prevent yourself from getting infected again and sick again. That's just playing Russian roulette. There are people out there that um, have complained about mixed signals, uh, you know, information that comes out and people changing it. Uh, the CDC has been criticized for that. And most recently, the World Health Organization, the WHO, uh, they said COVID boosters are needed. That reverses a previous call that they made. Um, as a physician, as an infectious disease guy and, you know, an expert, you know, on, on COVID pretty much, um, do you feel that we're getting uh, mixed signals and that this can be confusing to the general public? Oh, I think those are both 
possible. Those are both excellent points. Um, we certainly have made mistakes in how we communicate clearly about things. One of the things we haven't communicated clearly about is that we change our understanding of things as we learn more, right? right. So just because we're having making new decisions now that we didn't make two years ago is not be necessarily because we were we were wrong two years ago. We just didn't have the information um, that right. we have now. Now, there's certainly uh, situations where we should and could do a better job in communicating to the public much more clearly. As far as being consistent about that, we just have to let people know when we know something and let them know when we don't know something and, uh, and just be very clear and matter of fact about it. Um, but uh, I don't think it's true that um, every time uh, we change our mind, we do it because we're conf confused. We do it because we have new information. But that doesn't mean that every time we communicate, we, we shouldn't try to be as clear as we can um, in, in how we communicate that. There's a new study out that has uh, provided the most conclusive evidence yet that COVID-19 can damage the brain. Even a mild case of COVID-19 can cause brain changes. Um, it, it seems in the study they're saying it's too soon to know if the damage lasts. What are you seeing or what, you know, what knowledge do you have based on this and other studies? So that was a study you're referring to from Britain that was recently published. And it yeah. was a study that looked at uh, scans of the brains of people before and after they had COVID. Uh, and it showed that there are certain parts of the brain, particularly around what's called the olfactory and limbic system, uh, where there was some shrinkage, if you will. <clears throat> and they also showed that uh, a subset of those people had problems with their memory uh, as a result of the infection. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that, uh, so it was a pretty interesting and a little bit concerning study, but as you said, most of those scans were done on average about, uh, I think it was 150 days after, on average, since their case of COVID. So it's not clear how long it's going to last um, and whether it might recover. And I, I think most people suspect it will, um, uh, but they'll just have to continue and follow that. I, I think it's definitely concerning. There's a lot we don't understand about this long COVID syndrome. And so we need more studies like that to help us to decide how to manage those patients, and maybe even how to prevent that from happening for those who get COVID in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Dr. Bob Bollinger, Raj and Kamla Gupta, Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Also, joint appointments at International Health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in Community Public Health at the JH School of Nursing, founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, the CCGHE. Please follow them on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash CCGHE and their website, Maine. .ccghe.net. I always learn stuff from you, doctor, every time you're on. So I really appreciate you being with us. And I certainly hope our viewers and our listeners do as well. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, Leslie.